Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, November 16th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A second potential COVID-19 vaccine is showing incredible efficacy and bringing us a modest dash of hope. The future of sustainable air conditioning. The French media outlet that accidentally published obituaries for nearly a hundred public figures today, all of whom are still alive. And the Star Wars character that the SpaceX Crew Dragon astronauts brought to space this weekend. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Kicking the week off with some good news, Moderna has now released information that their vaccine, based on early trials, is 94.5% effective. This comes hot on the heels of last week's news regarding the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which was found to be 90% effective in trials. Quoting Vice, The Moderna results come from a study of more than 30,000 participants, according to an independent government-appointed review board. The company, which is developing the vaccine in partnership with the National Institutes of Health, said in a press release that the majority of side effects were mild or moderate in severity, and severe side effects included pain after the first injection and fatigue, myalgia, and headaches, end quote. Like the Pfizer vaccine, this Moderna one is also a genetic or mRNA vaccine, meaning it works by, quoting the MIT Technology Review, injecting a piece of genetic material into a person's body that contains instructions for how to create the spike protein, the signature mechanism the coronavirus uses to invade its victim's cells. Once a vaccine is injected, a person's body will use those instructions to create its own version of the spike protein. When the immune system spots these proteins, it mounts defenses against them that will also repel real viral intruders in the future. End quote. Pending emergency use authorization from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Moderna says they're on track to have 20 million doses ready by the end of the year and to distribute 1 billion doses in 2021. Which sounds like a huge amount, but just remember that we basically have to vaccinate the entire world, which is just under 8 billion people. Now, in addition to being marginally more effective, the Moderna vaccine has an edge over the Pfizer-BioNTech one in terms of distribution. As I mentioned last week, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine will need to be stored at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit and has a lot of other stipulations around how long its storage can be left open, etc., By contrast, the Moderna vaccine can be stored at regular refrigerator temperatures of 36 to 48 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 days. This means more rural places that lack the supplies and infrastructure required for Pfizer's vaccine's cold chain could now have an option with the Moderna one. That is, of course, with all of the caveats that still exist for both of these vaccine candidates. While the effective rate they're demonstrating is incredible, Dr. Anthony Fauci told the New York Times, quote, I had been saying I would be satisfied with a 75% effective vaccine. Aspirationally, you would like to see 90, 95%, but I wasn't expecting it. I thought we'd be good, but 94.5% is very impressive, end quote. But while that's a great number, it could change as more people from the trials get sick. We also don't know how long that immunity lasts for. We don't know if it prevents people from spreading the virus or just from getting sick themselves. And even though Moderna's cold chain is significantly more accessible than Pfizer's, distribution is still going to be a massive challenge and take a long time for any and all vaccines that do get approved. 
Based on what experts are saying, I would not hold your breath for a wide rollout until springtime at the earliest. Especially with the way cases are spiking across the U.S., please do not in any way mistake cautiously optimistic vaccine news for an all-clear to hold indoor holiday celebrations with people outside of your household. These vaccine developments show that a strong end may be in sight, not that it's here or even just around the corner. I want to talk about air conditioning, not in the COVID ventilation sense, not completely, more in the the climate crisis is going to make cooling technology way more important in parts of the world it previously hasn't been, but also air conditioners are really bad for the climate sense. Quoting author John Green on an episode of WNYC's The Anthropocene Reviewed, Cooling the indoors warms the outdoors. Most of the energy that powers air conditioning systems comes from fossil fuels, the use of which warms the planet, which over time will necessitate more and more conditioning of air. According to the International Energy Agency, air conditioning and electric fans combined already account for around 10% of all global electricity usage, and they expect AC usage will more than triple over the next 30 years. And like most other energy-intensive innovations, AC primarily benefits the people in rich countries, while the burdens of climate change are borne mostly by those in poor ones. End quote. So finding more sustainable methods for cooling homes and businesses, especially, you know, places that house servers and therefore the data and information that keeps so much of our world running, is crucial. Fortunately, a number of research teams around the world are making progress on this goal. A study published last year in the journal Nature Communications noted the largest temperature shift ever recorded from placing materials under or alleviating them from pressure. Quoting the MIT Technology Review, The team placed plastic crystals of neopental glycol, a common chemical used to produce paints and lubricants, into a chamber, added oil, and cranked down a piston. As the fluid compressed and applied pressure, the temperature of the crystals rose by around 40 degrees Celsius. End quote. And relieving the pressure created the opposite effect, cooling the crystals. The team says this approach could replace traditional refrigerants and create an environmentally friendly alternative to cooling. And a review paper published in the journal Science just last week notes that many scientists are making strides using a similar concept. Here's broadly how it works. Quoting again, Many materials exhibit small temperature changes under certain forces, but researchers have been hunting for materials that undergo large shifts, ideally from as little added energy as possible. Among other materials, certain metal alloys have shown promising results under strain, some ceramics and polymers respond well to electrical fields, and inorganic salts and rubber look promising for pressure. The forces or fields line up the atoms or molecules within the materials in more orderly ways, bringing about a phase change similar to what occurs when free-flowing water molecules turn into compact ice crystals. In the case of caloric materials, however, the phase change occurs while the materials remain in a solid state, though one that is more rigid. This process releases enough latent heat to account for the energy difference between the two states. When the materials revert back as the forces are released, it produces a temperature decrease that can then be exploited for cooling. This isn't very different from how cooling devices work today. They decompress hydrofluorocarbons to the point that they switch from a liquid to a gas. 
But this solid-state cooling approach can be far more energy efficient, at least in part because you don't have to move the molecules nearly as far to bring about the phase change, says Jun Sui, a senior scientist with Ames Laboratory. End quote. Of course, a key here for bringing the technology to market in a big way will be finding a method that can use affordable materials and withstand many, many cycles. For example, a standard refrigerator runs for millions of cycles in its lifetime. Ichiro Takuchi, a materials scientist, founded a company attempting to do just this called the Maryland Energy and Sensor Technology several years ago. His company plans on creating a wine cooler first as a trial device that doesn't require as much cooling power as larger devices like an AC unit or refrigerator. And about a dozen other startups around the world are working on this technology as well, trying to get it out the door. While Sui says we might see the products on the market within the next decade, it will likely take several more years before they're affordable relative to the existing competition. If you want to read a little bit more about the technology behind some of the frontrunners, check out the MIT Technology Review article in the show notes. But also, if you're curious about the science behind existing air conditioners or the history of air conditioning and the massive shifts it has caused in Western society, I highly recommend the series of episodes on air conditioning from the American Innovations podcast from Wonderly. One of my biggest takeaways from that series was that people rejected air conditioning when it was first invented, not because they thought it didn't work or for any superstitious reasons, but rather because they thought that people should just be able to tough it out, tough out the heat and the humidity. You were made fun of for being weak and coddled if your workplace had air conditioning. It was slightly excused if the work you were doing required cooling in some way for productivity, but the idea of paying for air conditioning, especially in one's home, just on the basis of comfort was bizarre to people at the time. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about that, link is in the show notes. So here's a sort of ominous but still sort of funny-ish story out of France today. Radio France International accidentally published the obituaries of a bunch of famous and still very much alive people, including the Queen of England. The radio station has since apologized for what it said was a technical problem that occurred when they were moving their website over to a new content management system. The BBC notes that media outlets will often pre-write the obituaries of high-profile individuals in order to have them on hand to publish quickly in the wake of someone's passing. However, that the broadcaster accidentally published a hundred draft stories, quote, not just to its own site, but to partner sites, including Google and Yahoo, end quote, is fairly mortifying. Almost literally, I suppose. I mean, while it may be a common occurrence to pre-write these obituaries, it certainly doesn't help our climate of misinformation and fake celebrity deaths trending on Twitter every other day. Quoting the BBC, French businessman Bernie Tappy, 77, who was on the list of people who had their death notice published by RFI, has had his obituary published on at least two other occasions by other news outlets, end quote. Other living humans whose obituaries were published today by Radio France International include President Jimmy Carter, Ayatollah Khomeini, and Clint Eastwood. As Ian Mansfield joked on Twitter, quote, Lots of outraged people writing in demanding to know why they aren't important enough to have a pre-written obituary ready, end quote. 
And as someone else pointed out on Twitter, this is a bit reminiscent of the case of Romanian man Constantin Reliu, whose wife ordered a death certificate for him after he'd been gone in Turkey for a decade, seeking employment and losing touch with his family. Upon returning to Romania and finding out what had happened, he tried to get the death certificate overturned, but the courts said he showed up too late to appeal, and the death certificate, for the dude standing there in their office asking about it, would remain valid. Relu was officially deceased for two years, during which time he was unable to find employment since all of his paperwork was invalid, before the country finally overturned his death certificate in 2018. Fortunately, for those prematurely mourned by Radio France International today, returning to the land of the legal living will not require jumping through quite as many hoops. After a weather delay moved the launch from Saturday to Sunday, SpaceX's Crew-1 mission officially launched into space aboard the Falcon 9 rocket and will dock later this evening at the International Space Station. Folks watching the live stream of the launch yesterday may have noticed a surprising stowaway aboard the Crew Dragon capsule, Baby Yoda. Yes, the beloved breakout star of The Mandalorian joined the astronauts on their journey as part of a long tradition of including a zero-gravity indicator for the flight. You might remember a shiny brontosaurus floating around in the Crew Dragon capsule earlier this year during the demo flight with astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken. That stuffed dinosaur, named Tremor, was picked out by their sons. It's not required that the zero-g indicator be an adorable, cuddly toy, but it has become common practice. Last year, when Boeing did its first uncrewed test flight for their CST-100 Starliner, they used a stuffed Snoopy doll dressed up as an astronaut. And that one actually has a pretty cool history, because Snoopy has a long history of collaborating with NASA and was basically the mascot of Apollo 10. Quoting NASA, NASA has shared a proud association with Charles M. Schultz and his American icon Snoopy since Apollo missions began in the 1960s. Schultz created comic strips depicting Snoopy on the moon, capturing public excitement about America's achievements in space. In May 1969, Apollo 10 astronauts traveled to the moon for a final checkout before their lunar landings on later missions. Because the mission required the lunar module to skim the moon's surface to within 50,000 feet and snoop around scouting the Apollo 11 landing site, the crew named the lunar module Snoopy. The command module was named Charlie Brown, Snoopy's loyal owner. The agency's Silver Snoopy Award is given by NASA astronauts to employees and contractors for outstanding achievements related to human flight safety or mission success. Receiving one is regarded as a high honor for outstanding performance. End quote. And when Boeing tweeted about their astronaut Snoopy joining the CST-100 Starliner test flight as their zero-g indicator last year, senior science reporter for The Verge, Lauren Grush, responded saying, quote, Put baby Yoda in space, you cowards. Seems like someone may have been listening, since baby Yoda, or rather, the child, is now on his way to the International Space Station. But fortunately, space travel is nothing new for the Mandalorian foundling. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go double-check that I'm not legally dead. 
I hope you all have a great start to your week, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.